0: our business.
1: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Oh, my golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of Physics.
2: Welcome, everyone, to Standard, no, Standard Orbit. Orbit, Trek Orbit. FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. Hi, I'm Zach Moore.
1: And I'm Haley Stoddart. And this week, we're discussing a fan-favorite character from the movies uh, with more than one face. That's right. She had two faces. It was Two-Face. Just kidding. Uh, we're actually <laughs> talking about Savick.
0: <laughs> That's right. Savick was introduced in Star Trek II in 1982, and she came back. Uh, in Star Trek Three, and in Star Trek Four, and that she was never to be seen again. Uh, possibly could have been a Star Trek Six. We'll, we'll wrap around and talk about some of that. But uh, Sarek, you know, it, when the when the original series movie started, it seemed that they were just going to like introduce new crew members every movie to see, like you know, maybe these old guys are too old, and we need to introduce a young, fresh crew. That was the idea, you know, with High Decker when they were doing Phase Two. Ilya was a new cast, and we're, you know, trying to even out the, even out the sexes, if you will, with the, with the cast, right? Because it's a pretty male-heavy cast, but, you know, they, they kind of promoted Nurse Chapel, even in the animated series, they introduced Ilya in the motion picture. Uh, we get to Star Trek Two, we get Savik, uh, who is sitting in checkoff spot, who has now been promoted to the Reliant. So what did you guys first think of Savik when you were sitting down and you see Star Trek Two for the first time? Like, who is this new Vulcan? What's she all about? Is this a Spock replacement? What's it? Is two Vulcans redundant kin. What did you think in the eighties when you're sitting there watching it in the theater and you seeing Vulcan? My
2: <laughs> thanks, Zach. First, I thought you were describing standard orbit, not Star Trek with uh, <laughs> the youth movement and and bringing the female Vulcan on board. We've done all that, so I I think it's funny how this loop has come full circle. Um, you know, I I guess when I first saw Star Trek Two, there was a lot of talk about you know Spock's death, things along those lines, and. That was who we figured would be his replacement, uh, would would be Savick, right? Because in the very first scene, you you meet her, all these other things. And uh, I really thought Kirstie Alley did a great job with the character. And I liked Savick. I just felt because I was doing a lot of, not me doing, I was going to a lot of conventions back then. And... You know, I, I remember George Takei, Michelle Nichols, to a a little bit of an extent, Scotty, to some extent. The the, um, the actors weren't thrilled about having such limited roles, right? And so that was always a conversation from two to three to four to five to six, how we make sure that everybody gets their equal, I guess, airtime. So bringing in the new characters was kind of a, an interesting dynamic there. But I really thought she. Um, she was a great addition. I thought it was a a, a, a wonderful kind of teacher-mentor relationship with Spock, and um, even the confusion in dealing with her with with Kirk, you know, and, and the whole Kobayashi Maru was a great concept in and of itself. And so to lead it off with her, I thought was was really cool. So that was my first impression. I I liked I liked Savick. I loved what they did with the character. And at the end, with her crying and everything, you know, kind of brought home that whole she's half Romulan thing. So it was kind of neat.
1: Yeah. What
0: about you, Haley? What was your first think about Sarek when you first saw her?
1: You know, I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was nice to see yet another female character added to the crew, rather than. I mean, they could have easily have gone with a male Vulcan, right, or another male character of of some other race but they decided to pick a female and I thought that was, that was great. Um, I liked the idea of Savik. I don't, I don't ascribe to the notion that maybe she was going to be the replacement for Spock just because you can't replace that character. Even if it's with another Vulcan, it's, it's not necessarily replacement. It's just, oh, okay, now we have this other person now instead. Um, but I enjoyed it. I liked the character. I thought it was great.
2: Well, yeah. the replacement might have been the wrong yeah. word, but you, you know. <laughs> well, that
0: w- that wouldn't have been the first time they tried to replace Spock. Remember when Leonard Nimoy wasn't going to come back for Phase Two? They even did Zahn, who was another Zahn, just a right. literal Spock clone, like just another Vulcan guy, the science officer. You know, at least Savic had a little difference. Well, Zahn was a full Vulcan. He was going to explore his emotions and stuff, and you can see maybe <laughs> some of that in Savic because she, she she's a little emotional. In this movie, and, you know, part of her character, which is part of, you know, Star Trek lore, but not part of Star Trek canon, right? Is that she's half Romulan. That was in the script. No, it's canon, movie. buddy. It's canon. <laughs> <I> mean, oh, <laughs> it it's, it's canon? Oh, it's film. So del- are, dele- it's fi- are deleted scenes canon filmed. now?
2: Can- well, no, no, no. But, well, I, you know what? It was filmed. She was emotional. It is in the novel. So why wouldn't it be canon?
0: Well, I moving forward, I would say, we'll get to this when we get to Robin Curtis' Savick. They seem to have dropped that entirely with that character. She's a straight-up Vulcan, you know. She she is unemotional, uh, composed, doesn't have you know these these emotional moments that Sarek does in Star Trek Two. So I feel like because that didn't make the final cut of Star Trek two with her being half Romulan, when you get to Star Trek three and four, uh, Leonard Nimoy directs her as a full Vulcan, and I think that's that's something when we talk about the change of the the actresses here we can we can delve into that. But uh, you know, looking at Star Trek two. Yeah, let's say she's half Romulan in this film. That seems to change in her later appearances.
1: Well, and I think, you know, coming into this, we have to remember and look at it as, yes, the only other Vulcan that we really see a whole lot in, in Trek right now at this point is Sarek. So we have another male. And just like Leonard, they've played the character for such a long period of time, it's easier to not have that emotion and I think when you get someone who's coming in and even if they're a fan of Star Trek is reading on memory alpha that Kirsty was it's difficult to play someone that isn't emotional you know I mean really I mean I like to say that yes I'm a Vulcan but I also say I'm a half Vulcan because I know I get emotional and <laughs> <laughs> I do and and so I think there's no way unless you play a character that is a Vulcan, full Vulcan, half Vulcan, doesn't matter for a long period of time, it's going to be more difficult to say and to not show any emotion. And also, according to Memory Alpha, Kirstie Alley actually was the one who came up with the idea of her crying at Spock's funeral. So hmm. so I don't think we there can sit there and say and, and knock on her for being emotional when she's coming into this completely new up against spock and leonard nimoy who's played spock for such a long time and has been comfortable in that role and comfortable in i'm not going to show emotions or i'm going to show them just a little bit and just when it suits the storyline it's hard to compare it's apples to oranges i think
0: yeah, I guess when you talk about Savik being half Romulan, the only the only real people that would complain about her being too emotional are the really hardcore Star Trek fans who are like really like you know Vulcans do this, Vulcans do that, and those people probably know that she's supposed to be half Romulan. So you go to the the general public, the general audience, right? You're going to see you know this Vulcan woman being a little more emotional, she's a new character. You don't know who she is or, or what her personality is. You you know to, to the non uh, the uninitiated, they probably don't think it's that big a deal either either. So you know, it probably it's a wash. I think all this <laughs> discussion about you know who being emotional or being a Romulan or anything like that. Uh, I do I I do wonder why they cut that out. It was such a brief little scene. You can see it in these in these early trailers for the film. It's like Kirk and Spock walking down the hallway after the Kobayashi Maru. Kirk even comments about how I don't know like how volatile she is. And he's like she's half Romulan, Jim, and you know. So you know that would be cool one day as we've talked about many times. Ken on <laughs> talking about Star Trek Two. One day, I hope all these scenes will show up on some release. So, you can see him in HD and not some greeny four by three 30 year old tape from from a
2: convention years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, one other thing I think one other unique aspect that um, shouldn't be taken lightly, though, it was also the first Star Trek film and it kind of started this whole thing with um, not only Star Trek but other science fiction. um, Things became gender neutral she was mr savick right and i remember the first time when they were calling her mr savick in 1982 sitting there in the theater going whoa you know that's that's different you know because it's it's always miss or missus or whatever Ms. whatever you want to say or by rank but i thought that was kind of um you know savick was was the first character i remember first female character i remember uh that was called mister and then it just caught on from there there was You know, Mr. is now doesn't mean anything. It's just a, it's just being polite and addressing an officer.
1: I appreciated that. I thought that was great. And I know that there's not a whole lot of explanation. I remember reading on Memory Alpha and it was late the other night because I've had long days. Something about how, about that. But now I don't remember what it was and I could pull it up, but I don't want to. But (laughs) uh, as, so I was student director in my high school band for two years and for me, it was easier because the other student director was a guy both years that they just said yes sir, no sir to both of us. It's easier on the mouth when you're saying something like that. And so I also half wonder, just because it was Savic, and even if she was just half Vulcan, I wonder if she asked to be called Mr. instead of something like ma'am. Or something like that, because it just, it rolls off the tongue a little easier, and I just wonder, just because of that, if she would have been like, will you call me mister? I don't know. I
2: think that would be a great question for a female naval officer.
1: Yeah.
2: Right, because they have, and it's only the Navy, by the way, it's none of the other services do Mr. or Mrs. and yes, you know, they do yes sir, yes ma'am, but they don't do Mr. and Mrs. When, instead of saying their rank. And that's only aboard ship mostly. So it's kind of an interesting, very um, long held tradition going back to the British fleet, right? That, that that's how you address officers as Mr. or Mrs. Or Miss, um, that type of thing. So it, that to me would be um, as, as it, even in the last couple of years in the Navy, we're, we're, we are definitely going on a, a standard orbit tangent here, and this is <laughs> Totally fine. That, that they have gender-neutralized the uniforms. So women had very distinct uniforms, and they can still wear dresses and stuff, but their covers are now shaped the same, look like men's. Um, even the Dixie Cups on Young Sailors, you know, those hats, now the women wear those. They wear Cracker Jacks versus what my wife was in, and she was a young sailor. So they wore um, suits, instead of instead of traditional sailor uniforms so all of that's kind of coming around where you can tell you you know obviously you can tell the difference between a man and a woman in uniform but they're it's becoming more more neutral and and, and becoming the same and you wonder if that isn't too far down the road with the title where everybody will be a mister it's just just an interesting thing thought you know because Star Trek has been such ahead of the game, and in this case, they're ahead of the game again. And you wonder, okay, are we are we now catching up? It doesn't take us three centuries, fortunately, for us to catch up with Star Trek ideals. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. but um, it's one of those things going on today. So, all right, sorry, let's go back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great,
2: great insight, Ken. So with Savick,
0: she you know she was a well-rounded a character, regardless. I mean, she's Spock's protege. But beyond all that, she she has her own personality in this film, right? She's quoting rules and regulations. She 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 seems interested in Kirk and his. She she's fascinated by his by his rule breaking and tries to understand it. Uh, tries to also understand why he beat the test, right? Because she takes great pride in in her uh, accomplishments as an officer. And she failed the Kobayashi Maru. She knows Kirk is the only one who beat it. So the whole film, she's like, you know, trying to win his approval, win him over. You know, I'm sure she's she's heard many things about Kirk from Spock, and and, she, and Kirk really surprises her when, when they meet her. And that's a great little scene between Spock and and Savik. She's like, he's so human. And he says, no one's perfect. So, <laughs> so I, I liked Savikon. how gone, right. It, 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 Side note of that scene, right? They, they, they're speaking Vulcan. You, if you read their lips, they're totally saying their English language. <laughs> they did not figure that out, the Vulcan uh, spoken language, until after the fact of post-production. But she, she, has a, she has a nice little subplot here, right? For a movie which has a lot going on, what I'm saying is she, she carves out a good bit for herself in this film uh, that, and that goes to the writing and the acting because, as you said, Ken, at the top, I think Kirstie Alley did a, did a great job as at, at, at forging a new character standing on her own with all these other legends. Plus, you get, you know, Ricardo Montalban's con in this movie. This movie is full of characters, full of actors, but Savick really is a standout part of the whole film.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, um, I don't know, it, It's she was very dominant in this whole film, you know, and uh, it's interesting just uh, when you see Kirstie Alley talk about... Um, how immature she was in doing the role and excited at the same time, you know, wearing the ears, uh, even when they were done filming, <laughs> um, showing up late for things, uh, all, all those things. And, and, and Nicholas Meyer being very, very patient and, you know, cause she was kind of, you know, impish, happy, you know, um, so playing a Vulcan was like a 180 degree turn from where she normally was. So yeah, every, everything you said is spot on, Zach, I, I think that, um, you know that was Kirstie Alley's very first role if i remember right right cuz introducing Kirstie introducing Alley. yeah I believe so. and uh, what a career i mean she yeah. went on to have careers far beyond most of the uh the original cast members you know
0: but and that's that's just funny you know, growing up you know star trek was one of the first things i watched so i always i mean i always know her as savick so a lot of people say oh yeah the she's from cheers or you know from weight watchers right i mean she was part of that ad campaign or the look who's talking movies right but to me yeah Christy Alley always savage.
2: Yep. Yep. And I think she's accepted that.
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, we saw her on Star Trek Las Vegas a couple of years ago for the 50th anniversary. That was right. uh, her for one of her first convention appearances. I believe you said she appeared in some of the 80s, I think, maybe one or two
2: I think, uh, back in the day. Yeah, I, th- I think when they put it out there, they said this was her first Star Trek appearance. But she was part of that of Wrath thing she was there according to larry so i think that oh, was the only... Larry. Okay, well yeah he would yeah. know and I, and if i i think that might have been the, the her first and only up until las vegas and the, you know so that's a simple mistake especially with that debacle but anyway All right
0: of course but no, no that was and that was fascinating no pun intended right to hear her talk about her experiences on star trek cuz being you know the Savic that was there and then gone uh, she she really hasn't talked much about Star Trek over the years so to hear I, I mean I, you know I remember I was talking about it after we saw her panel there. I was like, man I, that was one of the most like one of the biggest surprises and most enjoyable panels just because she seems just so down to earth and cool and happy to be there and, and you don't know what to expect because you know I, I know her her kind of big time stardom has passed you know, but, but still even so she's a big recognized name and Hollywood and still is a big star for her to come to something like that enjoy it and have a good time and, and just be really just down to earth and relatable and, and had some great stories to tell. Like that was, that was great to see. Cause I didn't know what to expect from her at a Star Trek convention.
1: I, I don't remember that one, honestly. <laughs> Did you not go to the Christy Alley panel?
2: No, <laughs> no. She had, she had too much Vulcan ale or Romulan ale or something. I don't...
1: What, what color? She was, she was a bar, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember what I was doing. I, yeah, I don't remember.
2: I mean, I mean, Haley, I mean, first female Vulcan and you didn't go. Yeah, on,
1: I know. Well, you know what? It's really hard. Let's be honest to even and we're going off on a tangent here, but to even remember everything that you do because it's such a whirlwind. Like, I don't even remember everything I did last year.
2: <laughs> hmm. Okay. Okay. That's good. If we ever have an <laughs> argument and then we bring it up in a year or two, um, if you won, I might I might be able to convince you that I did. So that would be cool.
0: Very good. Well, so that was Star Trek 2. Savik, you know, as the film ends, Spock dies. You don't know if he's going to come back or not. Savik is there. She seems like she might just step into that Spock role, and we might move on to Star Trek 3, 4, 5, you know, with her as, as quote-unquote the Vulcan, right? Because you know th- uh, some i guess some people think including star trek and we'll get to that when we talk about star trek 4 but some people think that more than one vulcan is redundant i think it would have been cool to continue that yeah, spock if spock was around or not it would have been great to have her part of the crew i guess the problem is you know you, you start promoting people like you know Chekhov or Sulu, they go off to their own ships but then they come back and we're out of seats on the bridge what do we do you know so we got to promote people off into other ships um, but we move on to star trek 3 and Savik is no longer on the Enterprise. Her and David, Marcus, Kirk's son, who helped create Genesis, uh, are now on the Grissom Science Special, exploring Genesis and, and, and doing a scientific survey of the planet. And and I guess that I mean, that makes sense. And they're they're the two new characters, so I guess it makes sense to kind of pair them off together and go on their adventure and of course, you know, finding Spock there you need the Vulcan connection with Savick to understand what he's going through and all that. But just just before we get into all the recasting and all that, that's his own discussion, but what do, you, what do you think about what they did with Savick in Star Trek 3? Because I think one of the most interesting things in 2 was her interplay with all the characters. You know, Kirk and some of the other characters. I, you know, one of my favorite moments in 2, just to jump back, <laughs> is when, when Uhura keeps calling. Like, like this is Enterprise. Like, please come in and wait, team. And Savick's like, Enterprise, this is Savick. This is the landing party. We are fine. <laughs> landing party out. <laughs> it's like, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, it's like your mom keeps calling to check on you. You're like, I'm fine. Call you when I'm okay. Let me know. Anyway, that was a little funny, a little savage moment. But anyway, she's now removed from everybody. The only person she has to play off of is David in Star Trek 3. Would you guys have liked to have seen her stick around with the main crew more? Or did you like that she kind of had her side adventure with David in Star Trek 3?
1: Hmm. I don't know. Go ahead, Ken. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it
2: I, well, I mean, it fit the plot perfectly, right? So. There was some chemistry that had been developed in Star Trek II, and they were supposed to have little you know, googly eyes for each other anyway. Yeah. So, and, and another deleted another scene deleted from that trailer scene, we talk about. Right? Yeah, so yeah. They, they kind of picked up on that. Um, so they had to somehow bring it. They had, they had to close that loop with the Grissom. You needed some familiarity. There needed to be risk in the game. So you needed to have characters that you knew on the Grissom, part of that crew, going down, literally searching for Spock, so I think that <laughs> they really didn't have a choice. It couldn't have been another character that would have worked with David unless, you know, they had kept right. Carol Marcus. And I kind of wish they would have, but they didn't. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I liked her character a lot. I thought she brought a lot to, um, to Star Trek, too. And B.B. And Besh was just a great actress. Nothing to say about, bad to say about Merritt Buttrick. But I just thought that would have been cool because even the tape was changed right? it's It was yeah. Kirk.
0: <laughs> it's Kirk now. It's Kirk
2: now, you know, giving the, the video. And, you know, obviously, because they couldn't use her likeness in the next one for whatever reason. So I really don't know what, what went on there, but it doesn't really matter. So what they did with Savick was, I think, the only thing they could have done in order to make it work, and it allowed the main cast to have all their own little moments. Really, everybody except Chekhov had a nice moment in Star Trek Three and Star Trek Two, Chekhov had you know uh, huge scenes, so I think it was a good balancing act, and they they put it in the right direction with Savić.
1: Yeah, well, for one thing, uh, Star Trek has bombed on the whole Carol Marcus thing twice now. Yeah, I'm calling him out on that. Um, <laughs> but uh... Take that, Star Trek. <laughs> but you know, I think it's. It's nice that because they could have completely written the character off and and then we wouldn't have had anything. They could have brought in a completely different character if they had wanted to because Kirsty wasn't coming back and and so knowing that, they could have said, well, we'll just write Savick out completely and then we would have had this other character who shows up once in something more than just an episode and well, what, where did they go? What happened and, and whatnot? So rather than that, I think it's great that they at least kept the character, even if it wasn't on the ship with everybody else. I think that that was nice. Um, yeah, I, and I think I still liked it because, you know, she's a science officer and Vulcans like science, so why wouldn't she go and want to learn everything about the planet? That she could, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, like, like both of y'all said, it makes perfect sense for her to go on that subplot. Uh, and uh, you, you're a great, you bring up a great point, Haley, that I was gonna, you know, mention later. We can talk about it now. There's a, there's a recasting here, right? Robin Curtis is now Savick. Who? Do, there have been, there's again Star Trek lore, right? There's so many stories about like what happened, like the Chris like want too much money. Did they? Want, they, they want to underpay her still, you know, because as the movies went on, the big names got more and more money, so they had to read their budget kept getting lower and lower. So you you don't know who's really at fault here. Who I mean, it's all water under the bridge at this point, right? Uh, but bottom line, you did not get back for Star Trek Three, so they're they're, pre- they're presented with this like, well, Savika's a really popular character, but she was really popular much and due to Christyale's performance. So I the, I it was an interesting choice. Like they could have, as you said, just written her off. Uh, but they chose to continue the character and recast her because with a character like that, that's really the only kind of character you can recast. You cannot recast one of the Big Seven, you know, uh, or even even like Mark Leonard, right? If Mark Leonard wasn't available, don't recast Spock's father, right? You know, you, these people are at, at that point in time. Obviously, we're talking. <laughs> you get down to the Kelvin timeline; it's a whole other conversation. But back there in the eighties, Star Trek its heyday, you don't you don't recast these characters. So, uh, it, it's it's a they're in a tough spot, you know. Um but I'll, I'll I'll say this about you know Robin Curtis's Savic. I actually you know I, I was singing the praises of Christy Alley just now, but I, I looking at it just purely like as Vulcan, right? Because Savic's supposed to be Vulcan. I prefer Robin Curtis's interpretation of Savic being you know being a Vulcan because I, I feel like she p- reacts to everything much more like a Vulcan one, and that's Leonard Nimoy's direction hers. Like you know, uh, you've seen the special features. She's like less emotion, less emotion, less emotion. And I think one of the one of the most powerful scenes from all parties and all aspects of Star Trek Three is the death of David, right? And and you, hear, you you have the Cleon hold up the communicator to, to Savik, and she says, Admiral, David is dead. And that's, like, a, a great line. Like, the absence of emotion creates emotion, I think, and that's a great performance there by her. And But she at the same time, she's so radically different than Christy Savik, it's hard to even compare them both. They look radically different, Uh, they act radically different, they're doing radically different things. So th- that's why I even question, like, should they have just made a new character i don't know I, I don't have i'm just you know putting them out there for you guys to think about because I, I really have an answer there uh because you know to me this is just how it is you know like oh well, Savick was in star trek 2 in star trek 3 but it's interesting to rewind and think like okay it's 1983 we got star trek 3 coming next year guys what do we do about savik and they decided to recast and here we are hmm.
2: yeah i have a theory right here yeah. so okay so listening to to kirstie alley tell the story of all her antics on Star Trek Two Um, the fact that Nicholas Meyer really didn't know much about the history of Star Trek and he didn't care. He really didn't. Uh and he really put up with her. So I think he had some kind of a a little bit of a crush. I have no way to prove that. But I, I, I think that he let a lot of things slide and she made it known in Star Trek uh, you know, for the 50th anniversary that the other cast members that she drove him crazy, right? Because Whatever it was, showing up a little late, being a little goofy, whatever it was. And I don't know of anybody more of a perfectionist than Leonard Nimoy, right? He's a pretty easygoing guy, but he likes things to be a certain way. And so I'm not buying that she wanted more money or whatever. I honestly think that when Star Trek Three came, Nimoy wanted to put Savick the way he saw a Vulcan should be and brought in his, his own actress. To do it, somebody who was probably a little bit more mature, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that Robin Curtis did a phenomenal job. I, I think she she really did a nice job. Now there is nothing written said anywhere. It's just my kind of interpretation of what she said and how patient Nick Meyer was, and how the rest of the crew was just agitated by it all. It just seems one plus one equals two here, and um, and, and that's that's why I think that that she was recast. And I think that uh, they they picked the absolute right person to do it. You're right; they didn't look anything alike, but um, no, I you know I, I can't I I look at it as very even though it's a trilogy, they're very different movies. I I really don't identify the two Savics as being one just because they are so different. But each one of them brought something very special and unique to the role, and both hit it out of the park. That's how I would hmm. put my stamp on it.
0: I, I like your theory, Ken. It does track, and and that's and that's a great point. I I think at least, you know, for Robin Curtis and Savic, Robin Curtis's Savic. Say that's seven times fast. Uh, I don't know why I said seven instead of three, uh, <laughs> but she she's the older, more mature Vulcan in this plot here, right? And that's that's what's interesting, right? She was Spock's protege. Now the roles have been reversed, and she's the one having to kind of guide Spock through his rapid growth, right? I think Robin Curtis has that kind of Vulcan quiet wisdom to her that she that she you buy the fact that she's guiding Spock through these changes whereas in fact is Christy Alley's Savick you know her being the the young hothead as as much as a hotheads the Vulcans get you know uh cadet lieutenant in the previous film that would have been a harder you know it's harder to see like I can't really see Christy Alley's Savick guiding Spock through through these emotional changes and and and, and growth so uh, that's a great point. They both bring different things to the table. I and you know this is the first time you have actually dedicated, obviously, a, an episode to discuss this. this. Has come up random times talking about two and three over the years here on the podcast, and I've often said, you know, Robin Curtis, I prefer her as Sava, but you know, Star Trek three is my favorite of them all. So I, I that's why it's I just grab a little biased. <laughs> um, but the, the, again, they're just so di- they're just so different. You know, they're just so different, and it's it's it literally apples and oranges when you try to compare these two Savics
1: uh yeah i I like that theory about that whole thing because it kind of would make sense um and yeah, it's kind of fun and different and i can I can see that um I think recasting a character it's easier when it's a character that we've only seen once. It's harder when it's a character that we've seen more than once and you know for longer periods of time. And, you know, I I can say I don't want them to recast Chekhov for the next J.J. film. Um, Just because we've already seen him in three other films, but it's also Chekhov, too. And and I don't know, in my mind, it's just a continuation. So I think recasting with Curtis was really nice. Um, To me, in a lot of ways, facially their facial structure is kind of similar and yes they're definitely different actresses and they don't look alike but I think that maybe they tried to pick someone who who could portray that slightly older more learned Vulcan character of Savik that would have been the progression from Kirstie Alley if that makes any sense to you guys so I think in my mind it yes they're completely different actresses but i do think i i prefer the robin curtis version kirstie was great but i think uh curtis definitely played it better
0: i just thought you know that scene in star trek 2 when savik's talking to kirk in the elevator in the ele- ele- who's holding up the damn elevator and the turbo lift and, mm-hmm. and and he comes in and savik leaves mm-hmm. and he looks at her like did you change your hairstyle if they had done that scene in Star Trek 3 that would have been really funny to kind of have a meta reference to her looking completely different so I just thought of that as you were were discussing kind of how how different they looked uh, Haley but at the same time if you like squint your eyes maybe they could have the same you know basic you know it's kind of like when they recast the Oracle in the Matrix you know when the actress died between 2 and 3 it's like the same kind of person but radically different looking anyway I I, I follow you and, and and I do agree I think if I had to pick a favorite, right, it is Robin Curtis, but they they both, as Ken said, they both brought their own, uh, they each brought their own strengths to the role, and that was great, and that's why Savick, even now, even with a recast character who was in like two and a half movies, is still a fan favorite character.
2: Hmm. Yep, they did a good job. They pulled it off, and um, I I, I like the fact that it was able to continue on, at least in. To in in that piece i think it was a little bit of a um you know it was because I, I, you know i remember seeing these movies when they first came out so it was a little shock and awe at first but over time it was you know became less and less let's put it that way you know and just because you are familiar with um, mm-hmm. with the first actor in this case kirsty alley and it's like okay i mean this person isn't even close but like I said, the um, the directors had two very different directions for this character, and uh, it probably couldn't have been. It might not have been as fun for Kirsty Alley to play Savick the way Nimoy. Well, wants. and
1: one thing I don't know if you guys noticed. So I, I was trying to. I just little clips here and there. You can tell that Kirsty is working kind of hard to not emote facially when she talks, and and. And Robin Curtis kind of does, too, a little bit. But if you watch Kirsty, you can tell that, like, her muscles in her jaw are kind of clenched. She doesn't speak um, – she does on a – she does, but, like, when she speaks, she kind of keeps the corners of her mouth kind of closed so that she's not talking as you and I are at this point right now as we are with each other. And And that was kind of – I'm like, oh – Okay, that's that's kind of different. I don't know. And like I said, Robin Curtis kind of does it a little bit too, but I don't think, I think she had an easier time not emoting facially probably than,
0: than Christianity. That is some deep analysis. We're going to have to Zabruder tape that thing back into the left, Ken. We're going to have to see if we can... <laughs> That's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. I'll have to keep an eye on I that. I like that. Some of that also yeah. might have been, and this is what Kirstie Alley had said at the convention, that she had a really bad like mis- Midwestern accent she was also trying to <laughs> get rid of. So between mm-hmm. the combination of her trying not to have an accent and trying not to portray emotion, I'm sure she had some wacky you know face muscles at work there. So I'll have to keep an eye for that next time I watch it.
2: I would say Kirstie Alley has yeah. a very distinct voice, too. And, and it worked for her when it came time to emote. So there was you know obviously the 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 time when she was crying at the funeral but there was one other time where she kind of felt she had reached that desperation point in really wanting to know how kirk beat kobayashi maru and the way she said i would really like to know you could feel the emotion Mm -hmm. like like a kid i really want to know this now but she was really like it was almost like begging you know and and the tone of her voice really shifted and i'll say one thing for robin you know, she was, she was the female Leonard Nimoy uh, all the way through it. Her voice didn't crack. It didn't, you know, for a Vulcan, she nailed it, right? I mean, she just absolutely um, stayed on that tone throughout the whole thing. I think, Zach, you pointed it out perfectly when you said, you know, uh, David is dead. You can't get much colder. Uh, However, even though she didn't do it verbally, she did do it, I think, exp- with her expressions, especially when Spock was back and he, she was looking at her and she was kind of looking down and looking up. There was that kind of a, a, an odd kind of a feel. Like she, I got the impression that she wanted to say and do more, and the only way she could deal with it was to look at him, look down, look at him, look down, just didn't know what to do because the emotions were there. You know, because I heard the Vulcans are very emotional.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, they go to all this trouble. They recast Savick, right? They continue on her character for a second film, right? And then we get to Star Trek Four and they write her out. in <laughs> Like, the first 15 minutes, they just leave her behind on Vulcan. And, and that's, that, that's what I was referencing earlier. Where like, do they think that more than one Vulcan is redundant? I mean, like, I, I, I understand the whole fish out of water thing going back in time. Spock has to hide his ears as he did in so many other episodes in the past. But it would have made to me anyway, if you want to make use of Savak, have her around, but not let her detract from everyone getting their moments of you know the big seven. Uh, have her stay with the bird of prey, right have somebody watching the ship. They all leave the ship <laughs> for like you know a long period of time. I think it would have been a perfectly logical role for her to just stay with the crew, stay on the ship, and operate things from that aspect instead of just writing her out of the film. I was very disappointed that Savick just just her character gets cut off at the beginning of this movie and we don't see her anymore.
1: I think that worked though because the story of the film I yeah. I can't see her character involved in much because if she stayed with the ship then we still wouldn't see her very much in the film because yes there Scotty's there once they kind of get everything but I mean, what would they do? Cut back to her, like, tinkering around? I mean, I... Well, she,
0: vul- just, she can do what, everyone, what every other non-Kirk, Spock, and McCoy character does in almost every other episode, right? <laughs> just, you know, she's minding the store, you know? I just I would have preferred that to her just just disappearing, you know? And that, that's, what's so, that's what's so disappointing to me, is, is, that, is that the character, with no explanation, they just, they just leave. You know? And they're like, all right, see you, Savick. This is goodbye. They're like, why? Why is this goodbye?
2: Well, I, yeah, I, I think I know the reason. Um, it was, it was the twentieth anniversary of Star Trek. Uh, they were pulling it all together to be part of the seven. Uh, you know, art thrives on restraint, says Nicholas Meyer, uh, who co-wrote Star Trek IV. And so when you're trying to get seven people on location and trying to cut out all these different stories and you're trying to keep the focal point to be on them for their 20th anniversary. I think it made sense. Now, I do agree with you, Zach. They could have... I I don't think she belonged on that Bird of Prey with those those characters. I don't. But at the very end, when they're exonerated... Because the other piece of it was she didn't do anything illegal or wrong, right? She didn't steal a ship. She didn't... She, She wasn't part of what the rest of the Enterprise crew did. So she wasn't included. She didn't have to go back for trial. She didn't. I think they could have, out of courtesy, even if they just showed her in the in yeah. the gallery with, there. She could have come. You know, she could come back uh, cheering with, on uh, her friends. Well, I or guess
0: something. was there the whole time. But yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, I
2: probably... she, she. Yeah, she she could have come back there. Yeah, but I, I think um, I, you know I'm more aligned with where Haley was going, which was you know what in this case I think it was it was better for just them um, to have their 20th anniversary be centered around them without that additional cast member. If you really think about it. Um, by introducing Kirstie Alley in Star Trek II, which added a lot to that movie, that means it takes away from somebody else. And these guys were always fighting, clamoring, complaining, um, getting fans to write people. If you you know, that's just the times that it was back then. Um, for for more screen time, they were they were always self promoting each other when they were at these conventions. It was just fascinating to see it. Um, because they have egos, and they want to be on screen, and they want to be part of it. And so I think uh, Leonard Nimoy, who is probably, was he was a hell of a lot more aware than Shatner um, in making sure that the cast had their opportunity, and saying that he put that story together, worked with Harv Bennett to write uh, Acts 1 and 4, and Meyer took care of 2 and 3. I think you know, I love Star Trek Four. I think they they did it right in that case. And and if anybody uh, was going to get hurt by it, oh. it was going to be Savick. You know, but they did give us there Spock's mom for that a minute cool. or two. It was that was bit, got, cool. Didn't
0: recast her, got her back. So, uh, but you know, Star Star Trek Four has has that goodbye scene. And there is, I believe, I read this in like the Star Trek Encyclopedia back in the day. But uh, there's speculation that perhaps Savick stayed behind on Vulcan because she was pregnant with Spock's child. Because you know he had to go through Pond far yeah, together, that, yeah. so that I'm glad they just left that out. That could, again, so much Star Trek lore, right? Unconfirmed <laughs> Star Trek lore discussed in, the, in this conversation here, well, but that's one of those things. So
1: you can think about it this way. So you know, we a lot of these things, we sit there and we go, okay, oh, they're continuing on, even if the show isn't continuing on. These characters are continuing on. We can say in our, our mind to ourselves that this is what this character is doing or this is what this show is doing and these characters are doing. So by Savik saying goodbye and staying there on Vulcan, she's just gone through and and learned all this data and, and all this stuff about the Genesis planet and the project. You can sit there and say, okay, she's back on Vulcan where they believe in science and and logic, and ration, and reason, and all this stuff, maybe, even though we don't see it uh, anymore, that perhaps that she's staying there, and she's telling them, and she's compiling all the data and everything that she's learned from the genesis planet, there on Vulcan, and working with scientists there on Vulcan, that to continue this project, and to see if they can fix it, make it better, make it work, who knows? So Mm -hmm. that, in my head, that's where that went. That's my headcanon. For Savik. Oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
0: That's and that's the beauty of characters that have no yeah, works. you know, defined ending, right? We can just write our own adventure for them. So Exactly. Record, you know? So
1: so in my mind that's what she's doing while everybody else in Star Trek 4 is off on this adventure to save whales.
2: <laughs> hmm. Be a good question to ask Robin. Yeah. Where do you
0: think thinks. Savick went from here? Right? Well, let's talk about one of the possible features for Savick, which did not come to pass, Star Trek six. Nicholas Myers back writing and directing, uh, co-writing, you know, and directing, and we have a new Vulcan character called Valeris, right? A Spock protege, uh, who likes spouting regulations. It's as if it's as if they just hit right click, <laughs> you know, replace word Savick for Valeris in this script because Valeris is Savick. Let's let's not. There's no way around it, right? Uh, but. Lots of reasons why they didn't come to pass. Uh, Nicholas Meyer wanted Christy Alley back as Savick. He is who she had cast as Savick. He, he basically created Savick, or at least forced her into the character that we all came to know and love. And he wanted to bring back his Savick, which is Christy Alley. Uh, Gene Roddenberry had a serious problem with this because Savick had become a fan favorite. Uh, her being the traitor at the end of the film, he felt like that, would, that was not true to, to the character and would be a, a disservice to this fan favorite character. Uh, they got they got in lots of arguments. They Im- infamously did not get along at all, it's Roddenberry and Meyer. And ultimately, it wasn't if it were up to Nicholas Meyer, it would have been Savick again, right? But Christy Alley was either again unavailable or wanted too much money. I don't know. Uh, again, what you know, un- untold tales of Star Trek lore. There, apparently, he was not interested in casting Robin Curtis. I, I've never heard. I've never heard an answer to this. If Robin Curtis was even asked or approached about Star Trek Six. At this point, she had been in two movies, even though four was brief. So, it would have made sense for her to continue the role. That, that's really that's really weird. I don't think that's ever happened, like recasting and uncasting. I guess well, actually, it has James Bond, right? <laughs> they when when Connery left, it was George Lazenby, and then Connery came back for Diamonds of Forever. Uh, so it, that would have been similar situation with savage It had Christy Alley come back, but couldn't get Christy Alley. Well, at least you gave me a reference, <laughs> I can
2: understand this time. The
1: I know Matrix the other one. one I'm like, I don't like, know what the hell hell okay.
0: D- don't bother with the Matrix mm-hmm. sequels; they're terrible. Just stick with the first one. But anyway, um, so Kim Cattrall gets cast, and she was actually one of the one of the finalists for Savik the first time around uh, in 1982. So ten years later, she gets to 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 be uh, a form of Savik, So. Basically, and and the way I've heard it is they were gonna just have her be Savic, but she didn't want to be the third Savic, uh, so they created they just changed her name to Valeris, and there she was, Kim Cattrall. So, again, Valeris is a very interesting character, but because she's new, it kind of like yeah, red flag. This person is up to no good, right? Had it been Savik, I think you know Star Trek Six is a great film, but it would only have been enhanced by returning Savic to that role and her conspiring against the Klingons would have made sense because she got, you know, David got killed right in front of her by Klingons. So much like Kirk, she has a bias that continues and I think that would have, you know, enhanced the plot of Six, which was the whole idea of using her to begin with. So what do you guys think about Savick possibly of coming back for Six and being in the role of Valeris?
1: I don't think it would have worked. You know, for all those reasons, because of how the story was written, it just wouldn't have been believable after seeing her character in the previous three films that suddenly she's turned traitor um, and and so I think the character of Valeris actually works really well even though it's just a one off character I mean we got those in the television shows all the time so I like it and I appreciate it and I think actually Kim Cattrall does a really good job it's just funny that they initially wanted her to be Savic <laughs> beforehand um, I think that Kirstie Alley and Robin Curtis did a better job as Savick. I don't think that uh, I could see Kim Cattrall in either of those roles um, in the film. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was nice. It was a good twist.
2: I think that it would have worked if they could have brought back Kirstie Alley. It would not have worked as well with Robin Curtis, and I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's just I maybe I'm just too um, too familiar with the Valeris character. So if you are asking for an actress that could kind of play that role, and there was some some incredible emotion in that in that movie, uh, and I think that Kim Cattrall owned Valeris as her own character yeah. and killed it. Okay, I mean she was she was she was as good as the either one of the last two Savics, in my opinion as a character, no doubt, and her acting was phenomenal. But if we go back, um, now now we're going to the 25th anniversary of Star Trek and the final one, and Star Trek Five. it didn't lose money, but it didn't make a lot, and there was a lot of speculation that they weren't going to be able to afford to make six. So Kirstie Alley was right in the middle of Cheers, right? She was in the third or fourth season of Cheers, and... And big, right? So I, I, do, I do understand that in this case, it could have been easily mm-hmm. a money situation. Kim Cattrall back then was kind of that, um, you know, the Porky's actress, the Police Academy. She was doing all these, the, you know, the, the teenage, uh, well, let's say, you know, young adult movies with those crazy comedies and all that stuff. And by the time she was cast in 1990, she wasn't doing as much, right? It was long before *Sex and the City*, um, before some of the other movies that, that she made. Um, I'm trying to. There was a, there was a few others, but she her her career had kind of plateaued. She was just kind of typecast in those in those goofy, oddball comedy movies. And then, you know, I think she was very much affordable back then. And she was kind of like Kirstie Alley, though. I mean, she. She, she did a lot of antics on the, she, uh, on, the, on the set as well, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and she was kind of a free spirit. So it was more in line of what Myers, I think, likes to direct and what he saw in her. But it would have worked if Kirstie Ellie could have come back because the emotional twist, I think, for all the fans would have been just... It would have been a dramatic moment that would have been like, oh, my God, right? I mean, it would have shocked all of us. So as far as impact and effect... It would have been huge. So it was a lost opportunity. And um, I just, like I said, I, I, I don't think that Robin Curtis's Savick, version of Savick, it would have been as believable. I, I don't know why. that's how I feel.
0: Yeah, I, I think the reason, though, that Robin Curtis would have worked, and I, I, I totally understand the reasoning, and, and, I, and I do agree with it, but the only reason she would have worked is because she was there when David died. You know, She was the one who spent the most time with David, like that version of Savick, right? And if that was going to be what pushed her over the edge... Uh, then that that would have tied it together. But I totally get what you're saying about how she was just so, you know, emotionless and and, and, and stoic as a Vulcan. You can't really see her kind of taking that crazy risk of conspiracy the way you could see possibly a uh, Christy Alex Savick or Valeris. And yeah, and this is in no way uh to talk disparagingly about Valeris or, or Kim Cattrall's performance. I think she was great as a standalone character. I just, I wish they would have made her not so obviously, you know, not Savick in the script like they're doing the a lie, a choice, you know, a lie an exaggeration, right? The same exact back and forth that Spock and Savick had in Star Trek 2. And and yes, there's are great lines and callbacks, but it just makes you think of Savick like right in your face. She's up there quoting regulations to Kirk just like Savick. So they they kind of dialed back the Savic in Valeris. She would have stood her own more as a character.
2: Ah, but Valeris yeah. took it to the other level, right? I've always wanted to try that. Um you know, uh, you know. Oh, you must be very proud. I don't believe so. Oh, she's a Vulcan, all right. I mean, there was. That's why I say the character was very much her own. She she was different from the other two, but had a lot of spunk. And I, I don't know. She. That's why I say only Kirstie Alley could have pulled it off because I could have seen her maybe doing that. But I don't even know if she could have done it as well as. Kim no, before. no. I'm sorry, I was just Haley, agreeing you with
1: off. you. I think that. Uh, yeah, if I could see Kirstie Alley playing. How Valeris was like if if it was Savic, but as the spunk, like you say, Ken, or or the attitude that Valeris was written with, then I could see it being Kirstie Alley Savic instead of Valeris. But but I agree that uh, Robin Curtis, it would have been hard to see her character be in that role and have that twist. I just yeah.
0: I, I think I have a new answer when people ask me who my favorite Savak is. I'm going to say Kim Cattrall. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well,
2: you know, that's a great question to ask because we've never asked a question about the three right. of them before. Yeah. All right, so I'm asking. I just see everybody answer Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Kim Cattrall, what uh, about you? Robin Kim? Curtis. Yeah, I, you know what? It's be, because it just came out of left field. um, Today, I know, I, I, Robin Curtis was my favorite Savick, uh, but boy, Kim Cattrall did do a great job, especially that that mind meld scene. That yeah. very very powerful scene. It was so uncomfortable, um, and so invade. Oh my God! I, I mean, that, that to me is. I don't just, think
1: either. I don't think Kirstie don't know, or Ally, or Kirstie Alley or Robin Curtis in that particular scene would have worked for me.
2: It would have been very yeah. powerful because of their 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 history, right? But you just wonder because we just don't know. Could they have pulled it off? I mean, you literally just felt um, for uh, Valeris at that point. You know, I I mean, I knew she was the traitor and everything, but that was such an emotional. You know, I I mean, I I know people have got, you know mind rape and all that other stuff. There's a lot of things that go along with it. And I don't want to get all controversial here, but it it was just. That that took a, an awful lot of talent, and and there was just a lot of emotion, even from Leonard Nimoy when he walked away, and mm-hmm. you can hear his voice cracking when he's when he's when he's talking to her. I mean, it was just um, that wasn't the only scene either. I think just Kim Cattrall, just in general, was able to pull it off. But at any anyway, um, between the three, it's it's a real hard decision, and I can't make it right now. I
0: think Sorry. I think of the three, Robin Curtis had the weakest material. Um I mean I, and I love Star Trek three I'm just saying her subplot was not as strong as Saavi plot in two Orvalair's plot in six so she's underserved in that way but it's yeah it's an interesting conversation and th- these are these are what you do as fans you compare you rank you know <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun there just and uh, you know at the end of the day ultimately guys I wanted to ask like what why do you think Savic is such a beloved character now i i do i really think she's still a fan favorite character you see she her character continues on in the comic books there's a big run where she's in part of the crew there there's always you know whether we have a like a vulcan novel she's usually involved in some way uh the fandom has really latched on to this character as savik and and you know years after without her really having any well yeah and having any on-screen stories since the 80s so so what do you guys think about the the, the long lasting nature
2: I think it's because she was the first fully flushed out female character. Okay. Uhura had her her moments here and there, and she's an icon, and who doesn't love Nichelle Nichols? But here they brought in a fresh new character, and, you know, they gave her a lot of screen time, both in Sue and Three, and, you know, she was unique, um, attractive, all those different things, um, incredibly intelligent, I don't know. I I think that that's one of the key reasons is it just kind of shifted, you know, from from six guys and a and a woman to, you know, uh-oh, okay, now we have a, a new presence here and a very appreciated intelligent one. And and that's that you know, I I think that for um, you know, for Geek Nation, that was just a big deal back then. And so I think that's why that kind of uh, has continued to to carry on i mean i've never heard anybody not say they didn't like Savik or that they wish they didn't bring her aboard um probably other than some of her other castmates <laughs> who who lost some yeah. screen time because of it but I really think that 's what it is i mean she was she was young attractive um professional fun it was just you know the the star trek formula works, and I think that the 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 main cast works well together. But every once in a while, you know, like having that right villain or whatever, having that right complementary character that helped them drive the story to a whole new level, I think um, was, was just very successful. I think it was a brilliant idea. I don't know if Sowards wrote it. I don't know if um, if Meyer came up with the character. But I, I, I'll say it must have been Meyer because he says it's his character uh, for whatever reason. But um, it worked out. That's I think that's why, though. Yeah,
1: I'd agree with you on that, Ken. I think that it's nice that you know, she had a lot of backstory. Like we kind of knew a little bit of where she came from. I think that we we got more from the writers about her that allowed for the continuation of her character into books and comics and things like that because she was well-rounded enough. And I think for a lot of fans, and you guys can speak for for some of you know for yourselves but I think it was nice that we finally had a strong female Vulcan that I think not only of course the female fans of Star Trek can relate to but maybe some of the male fans as well and and appreciate that hey you know we can have this strong female character and she can continue on and her story can continue on and it doesn't have to just be the males. I mean, we probably wouldn't have this conversation if it had been a male character that had been written in, even if it was another male Vulcan.
2: You're probably right.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with what both of y'all are saying. I think a huge part of it is everybody loves Mr. Spock, right? He is Star Trek, right? And you have a female Mr. Spock here yeah, with Savick, and it's much in the same way you, know, you have Superman. Everybody loves Superman, and then you have Supergirl. Right, a Supergirl has a successful comic book run all her own for decades now. She has a successful TV show on the air now. She has been in a feature film. So I think when you, and again, both of you guys are saying you open up that you know open up the fan base more with with more you know uh, representation that 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 really appeals to people. Plus, she was just a great character regardless, right? It wouldn't matter if she was a female character; she was poorly written, right? But she was a great written character. And really, it could have been general neut- gender neutral. We're talking about gender neutral, Mister Savick, right? She could have been a male character. But uh, the writing was still just as solid, I think. Uh, so that would that would help as well. But but you're right, Haley. I think that her being a female really pushed it <laughs> pushed it over the edge for everybody uh, to have that popularity. And again, I think Star Trek Two being you know kind of the mainstream hit it was. Savik is kind of your point of view character in all this, right? For people who really aren't that familiar with Star Trek, right? We were introduced from her Kobayashi Maru her interacting with Kirk and learning these rules and she doesn't know about the prefix code, but everyone else does. So she also serves that role as like, you know, you are the outsider you're know, among these legends of star Trek. So you can kind of see yourself in that role as the newbie as Savick working with these, you know, these legends like Kirk, Spock and McCoy. So I think all those factors, everything we've all talked about have, uh, Really played into Savick being a long-lasting fan favorite character, and I'm glad she's part of the Star Trek universe. And and I, I hope we get some more Savick at some point, you know, and in, in canon, you know, I hope, you know, w- maybe in Star Trek, uh, four, you know, we can get, we have to replace Chekhov, unfortunately. Um, they've really messed around with the timeline. Maybe Savick could be that replacement, if not Jayla, you know, maybe at some point, on um, on a future show, if we ever get, you know, 24th century, 23rd, we can see Savick again. I, I would I would like to see. There's a lot to that character, and I would like to see more on screen.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Definitely for sure. That actually popped into my head. I was like, Oh, I wonder if they could make Savick work in the next Kelvin movie.
0: <laughs> assuming assuming she didn't die on Vulcan when it blew it up.
1: You know, you oh don't know yeah. It it up. Hmm.
0: Yeah, but no, I think I think Jayla would be my number one choice. Uh, Savick would be number two. I would say Aylea would be number three, just because I'm again I'm a continuity guy. I love bringing back the old characters. You know, Eric's would be number four. There's so many options, you know, to 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 fill in that Navigator role. Uh, it's unfortunate we have to, but I, I hope that if they do, that they fill it with a character that fans want to see more of. And Savick is definitely one of those characters.
2: I agree. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go. There's two
0: movies coming. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Well, Savick is the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network.
2: Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. You can see Gene Roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become given our full potential. And the aliens that have achieved that looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint almost like q does in, in putting humanity on trial there's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifist or in the case of q genuinely
1: narcissistic warp five there's 89 sulaban plus archer and mayweather and now reed and nobody and notices this an extra body because they don't have jumpsuits so he doesn't have a number or anything and probably all Suleiman look alike to them. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. That's what we're getting at here, right? Yeah. They're all yep. identical. I get, there's a boy version and a girl version, and that's it.
0: Literary treks. Well, you know, when I was watching the show, the thing I saw when I was reading people's commentary about the show and you know the, what people's impressions of his character were, I was seeing a lot of people who who were people who suffered like kind of social anxiety and and kind of like you know. Um, Issues about their sort of like the the sense of self, and they were saying that they identified really strongly with the idea that Saru is this guy who's kind of like, you know, he's he's being pulled in two different directions. You know, he has he has a very strong ego, but he wants to be liked, you know, he's he wants to be an outgoing character, but he's also quite introverted. And and there were a lot of people who had that experience in their lives saying, This character really speaks to me because I see a lot of myself in them. The 602 club.
2: One of the things that really caught me in the movie was this whole idea of the family dynamics that we get. And uh, I was fascinated with this because a lot of Spielberg's early movies are about families, but in many ways through the lens of like divorce or possible divorce. And um, Deneuve said that in the interview uh, that for the extras, the director of Arrival and, and Blade Runner 2049, he was talking about how that really struck a chord with him because one of the biggest fears for kids' life in the seventies was, you know, parents uh, splitting up and divorce was on the rise. And so one of the scariest things that could happen to you would be to have your parents split up.
1: And that's what else is happening
0: on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, Get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well.
1: If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek FM slash contact. And look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. We haven't had one yet, so we'd love to hear from you. You can also look contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar.
2: Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com/trekfm, that's p a t r e o n.com/trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So f- to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Babel on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO.
0: As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Zach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where you talk about all things Smallville, the young Superman show that ran from 2001 to 2011. And also, you can find me on the Babel Conference, uh, complaining about things that uh, I don't like and praising things that I do like, because that's what we do as fans. So I look forward to talking to you all on there. What about you, Haley?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I am Trekkie01D. I know some people like to call it trekkie 10D, but that would be incorrect. I am not on that one. You can also find me on the Babel Conference. I am enjoying uh, chatting with all of the listeners as I am new to this, but it's been fun.
0: So, thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Oak.